0: So what is a Christian, anyway? A Christian is someone who follows, or tries to follow, Jesus of Nazareth, someone who takes Jesus to be the Christ, or the anointed, that's what the word Christ means, the one God sends as a kind of new Moses, a shepherd, to lead us from enslavement to freedom, and ultimately to the promised land. A Christian endeavors to follow Jesus Christ, hence the name Christian, and to follow him as a shepherd and a sage, a teacher on the key spiritual and moral questions of the day. And so when it comes to the most pressing issues of our time, systemic racism or mass shootings or reproductive rights or police violence or immigration or genetic engineering or LGBTQ rights or strengthening democracy or climate change, Christians follow Jesus' teachings. There's just one catch, of course, one minor detail. Jesus doesn't actually mention any of these issues. Not one. Not directly, anyway. If we think about it, though, this wasn't really Jesus' style to name particular issues and declare particular positions. Rather, his approach was to lay down clear principles, empowering his listeners to apply those principles to the specific issues in our lives as they arise. And the central principle, the greatest one of all, Jesus says, is twofold. Love God with everything you've got all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And so the question is, what does climate change have to do with this double love of God and neighbor? In other words, what does climate change have to do with Jesus? I'm Matthew Meyer Bolton, and this is Strange New World, a show about understanding the Bible for skeptics, believers, and everybody in between. This is part two of our two-part series on the Bible and climate change. Part one focused on Genesis, and in this episode, we'll turn to the four New Testament Gospels and to Jesus. Do the Gospels give us reason to think of other creatures beyond human beings as our neighbors and so as deserving of love and respect? They do, and each Gospel does it in its own way. In the Gospel of Mark, for example, likely the oldest of the four, the story begins with Jesus' baptism and the Holy Spirit immediately driving him out into the wilderness to be tested. The angels are with him, Mark says, and so are the wild beasts, keeping him company. Accordingly, at the very end of Mark's Gospel, the risen Jesus commissions the disciples to proclaim the good news not merely to all people, but to all creatures, to all creation. Likewise, in both Matthew and Luke, Jesus encourages his listeners not to worry about their lives, about what they'll eat or wear, and to take comfort in the example of the birds of the air and the lilies of the field and how God cares for them, feeds them, clothes them splendidly, The logic of his argument is, if God loves and cares for these little inconspicuous creatures, the sparrows, the wildflowers, the grass, then surely God also loves and cares for you. And of course, this portrait presupposes that God loves the sparrows and the lilies in the grass, and so that we are all kindred, neighbors, creatures made by God and loved by God. And in the Gospel of John, the links to Genesis are the most explicit and epic in scope. John begins with a proclamation that Jesus is the Word, the Logos, God's Word made flesh to dwell among us, and that this Logos was there with God and as God from the very outset. In the beginning was the Word. And through this Word, John says, All things are made, every creature, every sparrow, every lily, every blade of grass, and every human being. In this sense, according to John, following Jesus means following the One, the Word, through whom all things, all creation, is made. And by the same token, when we crucify Him, we thereby attempt to kill, whether we realize it or not, The divine Logos, the pattern of life and wisdom and creation itself. But the question of what Jesus has to teach us about climate change doesn't need to focus on wild beasts in the wilderness or good news preached to every creature or the birds of the air and the lilies of the field or even the idea that Jesus, the Logos made flesh, is the one through whom creation comes into being. We can set all that aside and focus strictly on what Jesus teaches about our human neighbors. For that is enough, more than enough, to convince us that being a Christian means devoting much of our lives, our time and talent and treasure, to the work of slowing and ultimately reversing climate change. This is what loving our neighbors looks like, in the 21st century, at the widest possible scale, the global scale. Take the Gospel of Matthew. There Jesus begins His public ministry in earnest with a sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. And that sermon ends with a fierce warning to His followers, a warning that mere lip service, just calling Him, Lord, Lord, isn't enough that anyone seeking to follow him should take care, as he puts it, to hear these words of mine and act on them. This emphasis on walking the walk is how Jesus ends his opening sermon, and sure enough, it's also how he ends his public ministry. His last lesson, the final story he tells before the Passion, before his suffering and death, is, appropriately enough, a kind of parable about the end of time—the last judgment—about what will truly matter when all is said and done. And like all stories about the end of time, this one is an exhortation about how to live here and now. What kind of life does God want you to live? This is Jesus' answer to that question delivered as his final teaching. These are the words he wants ringing in our ears as he takes his leave. The story goes like this. When the child of humanity comes in his glory, Jesus says, everyone will be gathered before him, and as a shepherd, he will separate the sheep From the goats. The sheep, he says, have performed works of love and mercy feeding the hungry, giving drink to the thirsty, welcoming the stranger, clothing the naked, caring for the sick, and visiting the prisoner. All iconic expressions of the Hebrew prophets' long standing insistence on serving the most vulnerable. And in contrast, the goats have done no such thing. The child of humanity then reveals a surprising twist that when the sheep served those in need, in fact, they were also directly serving him, feeding him, welcoming him, clothing him, caring for him, visiting him. And when the goats didn't, they weren't. Now, part of what's striking about this story is what Jesus doesn't say. He doesn't conclude his years of teaching by saying, When the last judgment comes, the distinguishing mark of the sheep will be that they belong to the right religion or have the right theological opinions, or that the sheep are generous to their inner circles of friends and family, or that the sheep attend church twice a week. No, he says the sheep are distinguished by six specific actions, feeding, giving, welcoming, clothing, caring, and visiting, and that they carry out these actions with respect to six specific groups, whom Jesus calls the least of these, the ones most in need—the hungry, the thirsty, immigrants, the impoverished, the sick, and the incarcerated. Now. As it happens, the climate crisis, if we allow it to continue on the road we're currently on, will devastate each of these six groups. It's already doing so today. Extreme weather, rising seas, wildfires, famine, and disease threaten the impoverished and disenfranchised, first of all and most of all. We're currently living through a refugee emergency all around the world, but the climate crisis promises to create waves of desperate migration that will dwarf today's challenges. And that, in turn, will intensify authoritarian politics, incarceration rates, and the likelihood of war and other forms of conflict on the other side of the planet and right here at home. When it comes to those Jesus calls the least of these, the climate crisis is the perfect storm. And Jesus doesn't pull punches here. He says that when we feed the hungry and give drink to the thirsty, when we welcome the foreigner and clothe the naked and care for the sick and visit the prisoner, when we do these things or when we don't, we do or don't do them, Jesus says, to me, Jesus himself is fed, welcomed, visited. And on the other hand, Jesus himself will suffer, will continue to suffer, If the climate crisis stays on its current trajectory right there along with the hungry and the refugees and the sick the call could not be more clear if we want to follow Jesus we can start by resolving not to inflict suffering upon him oh come on that's a bit melodramatic don't you think we're not actually causing Jesus to suffer that's a bit over the top no it's just what Jesus says In his last formal teaching in the Gospel of Matthew. When we feed and welcome and care and visit, we're feeding and welcoming and caring and visiting our neighbors, and at the same time we're feeding and welcoming and caring and visiting Jesus. That's where he is, and that's who he is. That's the teaching he leaves us with, ringing in our ears. And so, If we want to follow him, well, we know where to find him. And starting with doing no harm to him, well, that seems a reasonable place to start. Even better, we can start by actively alleviating the suffering he's already in, both at the level of individual acts of love and mercy and at the wider level of societal acts of love and mercy, at the level of social policy and social structure. And if we want to follow Jesus, we can start by taking tangible, decisive, structural steps today that will decrease Jesus' suffering tomorrow. In sum, if we want to follow Jesus, we can take Him seriously. We can take His teachings seriously. When He identifies Himself in solidarity and love with those in harm's way, Christians can and must confront The climate crisis. The crisis that promises to create so much harm all over the planet, halfway around the world and halfway down the block. If we don't, what does loving our neighbors even mean? The Gospel of Matthew opens by presenting Jesus as a new Moses, a new shepherd, sent to liberate human beings and guide us to the Promised Land. And Moses is traditionally considered the original Hebrew prophet. Thus, Matthew understands Jesus in terms of the ancient prophetic tradition, Moses and Isaiah and Jeremiah and all the rest, and sure enough, The prophets repeatedly emphasize that concrete acts of love and justice are what matter most in the end. The prophet Micah, for example, declares that God has no interest in burnt offerings or rivers of oil, but rather requires that we do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with God. It's no surprise, then, that Jesus ends His formal teaching ministry with a similar emphasis on action and humility. And how does the Bible itself end? With a phantasmagorical vision, the Book of Revelation, in which another prophet poetically describes a new heaven and a new earth, a promised land, we might say, a cosmic promised land. What's striking, though, is that the vision isn't of somewhere else, some new paradise set apart from the home we know and love. Rather, the vision is of heaven descending down to earth. The new Jerusalem doesn't mean leaving the old one behind. God made and dearly loves the earth and made us to help protect it, to help serve it, and ultimately, by God's grace, Help restore it. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What is a Christian, anyway? A Christian is someone who follows or tries to follow Jesus of Nazareth, the Good Shepherd leading us from enslavement to freedom. A Christian is someone who hears his words and acts on them who loves God with all our heart and soul and mind and strength, and our neighbors as ourselves, halfway down the block and halfway around the world. Human beings, yes, and also birds of the air and lilies of the field. A Christian is someone who sees and experiences the world as a neighborhood, full of divine love, not only love for humanity, but love for all creatures great and small a kind of global gallery filled with works of divine art. And each one made by the divine artist, and in particular made through the divine Logos, the Word made flesh as Jesus of Nazareth. A Christian is someone who follows Jesus, the Logos through whom every creature is made. Jesus, the new Moses, the one sent to guide us out of bondage, to the promised land. Jesus, the one who calls us to serve, to feed and give and welcome and clothe and care and visit, and the one who lives, even now, in solidarity with those who need such service most of all. What is a Christian? Someone who follows Jesus. What is following Jesus for? It's for entering what Jesus calls the kingdom of God, the realm dawning here and now on earth as it is in heaven. And what does such entering look like? It looks like action. Feeding, giving, welcoming, clothing, caring, and visiting. Are more explicitly religious actions important, like prayer and worship and reading the Bible? Yes, of course, but they aren't ends in themselves. They're ultimately for the sake of clarifying, galvanizing, and sustaining generous, compassionate acts of love and mercy, restoring the health of creation, the whole neighborhood, shepherding the flock, serving and guarding and caring for the garden, doing justice, loving kindness, and walking humbly with God, finding our way together to the promised land, Haeretz, Earth. We could just as well say the promised Earth, not going up to heaven someday by and by, but heaven gracefully come down to Earth, the new Jerusalem, creation restored, the end transformed into a beginning. Strange New World is a Salt Project production written and produced by me, Matthew Meyer Bolton, with help from Elizabeth Meyer Bolton and Gretchen Summers. Music is by Pablo J. Garman and Blue Dot Sessions. If you like what you hear, spread the word and give us a review on Apple Podcasts. It really does help people find us. And feel free to drop us a line at community@saltproject.org. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for listening, and see you next time.